Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you, God. We believe that you're alive here, that you're present, that you're in this room. God, I pray for every need. I pray for every person, God, that battles and that is struggling. Lord, we bless your name. We acknowledge your presence, your spirit, and your power, God. And I pray that you just begin to minister us, to talk to us, God, to lead us and, and, and guide us in our lives. God, help us to just be bold about what we believe, about what we're doing, God, because we have a strong base of, of, of eternal salvation with you. And we thank you, God. We glorify you and we praise you. God, teach us how to love you today, God. It is the most important thing, God, to understand first that you love us so that we can love you back, God, with a greater heart. Lord, we thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, let's see right there for you, brother. For those of you guys that don't, this is Edgar. Uh, most of you guys know each other, but you guys were all there yesterday, so praise God for that. Um, so I actually found something today that that was um, that was kind of interesting. God like hit me with this revelation. Like I would say, like an hour, I was praying about today, and I was like, God hit me with this an hour before like Bible study. So like I had like revelation in Second Corinthians thirteen. It's not our lesson today, but I just saw Second Corinthians thirteen five. It says this, examine yourselves um, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Okay. And I always kind of imagine this, and I've heard this verse used, like, in so many different ways. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith, you know. And, and you kind of like, well, does that mean examine whether I'm saved or not? Right? Does, if I'm a believer, right, he's writing this in, in, to the Corinthians in the second time that he's met, talking to them. So obviously he's talking to a believing church and he's saying, examine yourselves. And I think this was the, 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 the kicker is that when you read 1 Corinthians, you see kind of his introduction on helping them deal with their sin, right? But we know that 2 Corinthians, they found this transformation, right, from where they were to a better place, they found this transformation. And I was reading, and I'm like, examine yourselves to test whether you are in the faith. And we've talked about what the faith means, right? It's not just faith in God. It's not just a practical faith. Oh, I'm just going to have faith in God for a miracle. It's justification by faith. Because what does he say? He says, or do you not realize this about yourselves? Do you not understand this about yourselves? Why are you examining yourself? Look what he says. That Jesus Christ is in you. You're not examining yourself to look at yourself and to judge and condemn yourself to see if you're any good. Because that's been established. Mm -hmm. Right? In Romans in Roman 7, it's established. In, in me dwells no good thing. Right? It's, it's pretty concrete and solid that in man is no good. So, he's obviously not saying examine yourself as examine yourself look at yourself in the mirror and see yourself because we understand that to be detrimental to our walks mm -hmm. right because if we keep looking at ourselves we never find anything good if you look long enough oh yeah i have talents abilities skills oh depression you know like <laughs> and then it just kind of flips at some point to seeing the bad in us right we start seeing the bad in us and he says, don't you know that Christ is in you, that Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What's the test? Is it, have you first believed, examine whether or not you believe what? You're justified by faith. 
the justification by faith. Are you secure? Are you in the faith? It doesn't say, are you in the law? Examine yourself and compare yourself to the law, which is easily like I, I guarantee you top top 10 um, um, preachings you ever hear on this. You're going to hear that. You're going to you're going to hear that example. OK, look at look at the law and then compare yourself to the law and examine yourself and see if you meet the test, if you pass the test. Right. The test is not whether or not you meet God's standard in your actions. The test is whether you meet God's standard of faith. What's God's standard of faith? Is it you having faith? Is it your own faith producing your own faith? No, it's actually having the faith of Christ. Is it Jesus? Did you know Jesus can impart faith to you? Do you know that Jesus can have faith through you? Examine yourselves. Why? Because I need to know whether or not Jesus is in me. Right? I need to know that. And how do I know that? By my faith, my justification by faith. Do I believe that I'm justified, that I'm right with God by what he did on the cross? Right. And I'm seeing that I'm seeing that as the as okay. I'm looking, I'm finally looking in this glass and I'm seeing, okay, I'm justified by faith. Right. And do I meet the test? Do I meet the standards of the test? Am I having faith that it's in him? If I, am I having faith that my hope is in Christ? I'm going through life. I'm battling situations. I'm dealing with problems. People are just uh, frustrating me and I feel down. I feel uh, overbearing. Uh, over, like life is just being overbearing to me and, and situations keep coming up, right? Where it just seems like this is taking from me. This is taking from me. That is taking from me. And I just keep being taken advantage of, right? And it feels like we can be overwhelmed by life in, in, in so many ways. But here's the test. Did you know while you are going through that, that Christ is in you? That you have the full supply plus and more to deal with that circumstance. That's in you. That's the test. Do you, do you realize that he... Because if he's in you, I mentioned this yesterday, and he's in you, and he's in you, and he's in me, and he's in us, right? That's the greatest thing we have in common. Whether or not we agree on anything else. He is the most valuable thing about all of us. Jesus is the most valuable thing about every one of you. Jesus, not your talents, not your abilities, not your skills, not your your mind, not your own wisdom, not our own. No, no, no. None of that is what the most valuable thing about you is. It's him. He is the most valuable thing about us. And so when we have that in common, right, then we can and we truly believe that then we can start treating each other better. So that's just a little tangent. This has nothing to do with our lesson. Um, I just, I just saw that and I was like, man, this is one of those scriptures. I'm gonna, I'll go more into depth in it on its own Bible study. It deserves its own Bible study, but I just wanted to kind of mention that for a second. Um, today's lesson starting at Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Okay, and um, these are these are methods of interpretation. So today we're going to look at methods of interpretation and we're actually going to um, go through the story of John in, in John 21, which I, I this this story. I mean, it lights my day up. It gets me so excited to live for God when I read this story, when we go through this story. Second um, Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, one, for doctrine, two, for reproof, 
three, for correction, and four, for instruction in righteousness. Okay? The first word doctrine, we understand to be a set of beliefs. So when we look at all scripture, we're talking about all scripture, okay? Everything divinely inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It comes from the mouth of God, okay? What does all mean in the Greek? Does anyone know? I mentioned it before subtly. It means all, right? It's one of those simple words that all means all. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God and all scripture is profitable for doctrine, okay? What is doctrine? Doctrine is a set of beliefs, uh, a compilation of things to have faith in, okay? We, we say doctrine is, oh, these set of standards and rules, okay? But I want, I want to help you revise the definition of doctrine in your mind, okay? And, and the revised definition is, I'm going to put it here just on this list. Things we have faith in. It's so simple. Like, I mean, it's so simple how I put it. It's obviously a little more complicated, but this is the dumbed down version where it's just like anyone can understand. Here's the set of beliefs that we are asked of God to have faith in. Okay. These are the set of beliefs that we are asked of God to have faith in. So we, meaning all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. That means when we read the Bible, we interpret with doctrine to establish or reaffirm our beliefs. Okay. With, with doctrine, we, we, what are we doing? We're trying to determine, right? All scripture. So we're using scripture to determine what beliefs we should have. Okay. Or to reaffirm the beliefs we already have. Okay. That's what scripture's for. So when you read the Bible through and through, right, we're, we're looking at how do we read the Bible? How do we interpret the Bible? How do we look at the Bible and really find value in it? Well, the Bible's going to tell you, okay, it's going to give you a set of things to have faith in. Does that make sense? Right? So it's not necessarily a doctrine of saying, okay, this is, uh, these, are the, these are the 10 disciplines of Christianity that you need to follow. It's not about the disciplines. It's about the things that you need to have faith in. Right, that inevitably produce the fruit that we get to see in the scripture, and if it does not emulate, if it doesn't, if it doesn't come out to those results, right, then our faith is probably misplaced. So this is why we have to examine whether or not we're in the faith. We look at whether or not we're in the faith. After we've had faith, we see that there's not enough fruit yet, right? That we're struggling in our lifestyle. So we come back to wait a minute. What faith do we have? Is my doctrine right? Right. That's what we have to. We have to look at it from this perspective. Now, the next one is reproof. Reproof is actually a very special word in Greek. And it's very it's very um, implicate implicate implicates this is that we're looking for evidence of invisible things. OK, they would be looking for evidence of invisible things. But in the scripture, reproof is that the Bible, all scripture is evidence of invisible things. Okay? That's what the scripture is used for. So the scripture is used for evidence of invisible truths. Right? Things we may not understand. Let me give you an example. We did, we did a, a study last week of the, of the temple, right? A little bit. We didn't even really go into depth, but we, we went to, to some kind of depth. But we understood that there was a physical temple that was made from an invisible temple in heaven. 
that the one on earth was just a copy of what was in heaven, right? So that, that's what scripture is used for. So we did just when we went in there and the Bible showed us how to interpret, right? It showed us that the, that the temple of the Old Testament is actually just a shadow of the real temple in heaven. The one that Jesus went to and paid and sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat up in heaven for our sins. So we see that all scripture is also here for us to do what? It's to use it as evidence, as proof for those invisible things that are not clearly understood by the world, right? So we interpret to see invisible truths be brought to light. That's what it's for. So we interpret to see invisible truths brought to light. Now, I'm just going to put this on here as well because I'm just because we're doing it right. Evidence for invisible things. Okay, so the Bible is evidence for invisible things. Correction is my favorite one. God's always correcting me. If it, I know there's some, there's probably some of you. Uh, you're like, man, I, I really want to get Angel on this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him on this. I'm gonna correct him on this. But God does a very good job at dealing with me. So um, I, I don't get away with nothing. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I felt in my life. Um, but He deals with me. So correction. You, we always think about this. This correction, like, um, it's not like training a child, like correcting a child. Okay. It's more about like you would train a child like he, he does bad actions and then you correct him, right? It's not really like that. It's more about imagine if you're hunched over. You're stuck with a hunch in your back, okay? You have a hunch in your back and you're just like this, right? And it means to straighten it out, okay? You don't lose anything. And here's the, here's the biggest thing about correction, okay? We interpret to help straighten things that have been made to look crooked okay so this is the thing is the bible helps us when we see crooked in life okay to give us clarity on how it's supposed to be okay how things really are right you we, we say okay no angel you know like I, I understand all this god stuff but you know this is my reality and i'm like okay well that sounds Interesting. That's your reality. I get it. That's your reality. That's what you're dealing with. You're struggling. You're battling. You have a reality that you believe is not in your favor. But the Bible says, if you believe in Christ, okay, that all things work together for your good. But you're saying is that this is no, in no way going to work for good. So this is how the scripture corrects us, right? It makes straight a crooked thought. So when we read the word, right, we use it to interpret. And once we interpret it, once we understand what it's saying, that's used. And I, let me correct myself. We don't interpret it. The Bible interprets itself. And as we visualize and as we get to see the interpretation, then it corrects us. It corrects us. This is why we must read our Bible. This is why we understand that when we talk about grace and, and how everything fits in the lining of grace, right? That when we look at the scriptures, that we interpret them correctly. That way we can actually see the error of our thinking and actually have a repentance, right? We can actually change our mind. 
because we see that God's way is better. So correction is really heavily, it's not the word repentance, but it heavily leads toward repentance. It's how we get to repentance, is that we see the Bible, it corrects our thinking, then we can metanoia, change our mind, right? Then we can change our mind. So that's number three. Number three, uh, to straighten up again. That's literally what it means. Oh, your shield fell, straighten it up again. Oh, you're, you're, you're hunched over. Straighten yourself up. Right? It's for, it's for your benefit. It's not always good to... You don't always like to hear that, you know, what the scripture is saying about your situation. Because it may not always be um, based on how we grew up or our mindset is. may not always be in our mind in our favor. But it is. Right? In, but in our minds, it may not be that way. So the last one is actually the, the fun one. We do this all the time, okay? Uh, instruction in righteousness, okay? This one is the fun one. The word instruction actually comes, um, it's the word uh, pedia, which is the word where we get pediatrician, okay? It's the, where we get the, word, the English word pediatrician. So pedia is, and this is referring to child training, okay? This is referring to nourishment, Nourishment. If you're talking about nourishment, so what is the Bible for? Nourishment in what? Righteousness. This righteousness is not practical righteousness. Okay, it's not like righteous actions. It's not going to give you instruction on righteous actions. Even though people like to say that that's the truth, that that's what it means, it's a noun. So it says it's going to give you nourishment, okay, in this thing called righteousness. It's going to feed your righteous identity. Okay, this we understand that this righteous identity, we've been talking about it a lot, right? That you're made righteous by faith. So it's an identity now. Before you were a sinner who couldn't do anything right to become right, right? Now you're righteous who can't do anything bad to become unright. Because it's an identity, except for believe that you're not right. <laughs> apart from your actions. That's the true sin, is to not believe that what Jesus did made me right apart from my actions. And we, we, we study that on Sunday, right? Where believing that is, the, is what bears the fruit of good actions. That's not good. And no one's going to say, oh, well, because you say this, I'm going to go and sin more. And I'll give you an example. Um, I actually wrote this example down. Um, Philippians 3, 9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So it's an imparted righteousness that we're talking about. It's not just a, a righteousness that I, oh, I'm doing righteous deeds. It's going to teach me how to do righteous deeds. No, you have this righteous identity and it's going to feed it. You're right with God. You have right standing with God and it's going to be nourishment. And it's going to give you childlike training in it. That means it's going to talk to you in a very practical, simple way. Right. And we found that grace is very practical and simple, but people overcomplicate it. Right. So under the law, sin has dominion over you. The strength of sin is the law. Those are not my words. That's the Bible. But when you're under grace, for some reason, sin has no dominion over you. Right. Under 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 law, under Adam, you're imparted a sinful nature. Right. Simple. Under Jesus, you're imparted a righteous nature, both apart from actions. Right. 
under 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 law you do good you get good you do bad you get bad under jesus he did good he got bad you did bad we get good okay very 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 simple stuff right but it's childlike because of the simplicity of it it says that you'll receive childlike training through the scripture in righteousness nourishment okay so when we read the bible right i'm gonna put it here um um nutrition and training childlike training okay we have four on there so so we interpret to give nutrition to our righteous identity to help feed our righteous identity okay this is this is we see all scripture given by inspiration of god comes from the mouth of god for what purpose? For four things, right? We see to, to, um, to tell us the things we should have faith in, um, evidence for the invisible things, um, to straighten out what's crooked, um, nourishment and child training in righteousness and our righteous identity. I mean, so simple, right? So when we read the Bible, this is, these are kind of what we should be looking for. But this is given to who? To Timothy, who is a pastor, okay? Who is a leader, so this is the job of a leader, of a pastor, to help us get these things from our reading, to teach us how. Because everyone has to be taught. Everyone has to be taught. I had the, I had the pleasure of doing fitness for a while, um, training people. And one of the biggest things is that people f often feel like um, they don't need to be taught. They don't need to be taught. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to go do whatever I want, you know, because the, the pain of being taught something, right? I would just say the abuse of ego, the, the abuse we go in our ego, that, that our ego deals with when we have to be taught something is painful because we don't want to be taught. We want to believe that what we already know is enough to get us where we're going. Right. And when you find out that it's not enough for the children of Israel, 40 years, <laughs> Right. Live in the same year for 40 years? Takes a while. So, we're going to go through John. Or let's read uh, 17, because I put 17 on here too. Um, verse 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And this really completes what he's saying. So we do the interpretations, right? We understand what they mean. He says that the man of God, okay, that the man of God may be perfect. Okay, perfect meaning full grown, sound in body and in mind. Okay, that's the Greek history of that word, of that word perfect, which and then it says thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So check this out. This is kind of the illustration that I wrote down. Um, imagine, um, imagine you have a house, right? You just got a house. It's your house forever. It's paid off. It's given to you. Um, don't you want to furnish it? Right. Don't you want to furnish it? So here's the trick. This, properly interpreting scripture, right? Using it for its intended purpose is to help get you to a place in your mind where you're good in your body and in your soul. It's to help get you to a place where you're good. So, okay, to, to, to solidify the case that you already have the house. You're already saved. You have life and life everlasting. 
abundantly. This is the issue. If you kept thinking your house was going to be taken away from you, okay, would you furnish it? On a weekly basis, your house was under threat that they were going to take it away from you. No, you wouldn't put a single ounce of furniture in it except somewhere to sleep maybe, right, for the night. Just somewhere to rest your head. So the Bible brings us security in our salvation for the sole purpose so that we can actually thoroughly furnish our house with good works. Okay. I mean, that's like, I was, I was just reading and studying and, and I just kind of, that, that was the biggest imagery. And it's hard not to like say these on Sunday because sometimes you were studying like last week for this lesson. And then you're just like, I want to say this on Sunday. I don't know when to say this. God just tell me when, and, but it makes the most sense for our lesson right now because there's security, right? And we're, our to, thorough, we're to furnish our house we would only furnish our house if we believed it's really our house forever. Mm-hmm. And we would furnish it the best, right? If we knew it was completely our house. This is why when you still owe the bank, it's really hard to say, well, maybe we'll short sell it in three years or maybe we'll do this in two years, right? When it's paid off because Jesus paid, right? Except the Lord built the house, they labor in vain. So he gave us this house, he built the house. He already took care of all the work. So we have this house. And our job is to furnish it with good works. Your house is not in question. That should make you want to furnish your house, right? So, enough on that. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. Okay. We're still right with God according to the word. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. Um, John 21. Okay. I'm going to go to John 21. Actually, I don't need, I don't need that. John 21, 1, and we're going to read all the way to 25, and that's our Bible study, okay? All the way to 25. Um, I had a different lesson planned. We were going to talk about, like, wine and alcohol and stuff, but um, I re- <laughs> God really just, like, he told me to study more, so I said, okay, God, I'll study more, um, and um, I felt like because he told me to study more, it would be inappropriate for me to, like, teach the lesson, so we're not learning about that this week, maybe sometime in the next few weeks when I have a little more revelation and sought the Lord a little deeper. Um, But, so today we're learning John 21. So this context, who wrote the book of John? John, John, right? So we've we've learned some of these things, right? Some of the practical things of interpretation. Who wrote the book of John? John, what does John's John's name mean? Sunshine. No. Oh, good one. It's something we talk about almost on a, on a weekly basis. It's almost like the center of all our Bible studies. Grace. Yes. Oh, there we go. Amen. Praise God. Grace. John means grace, guys. And um, I know I'm not facing you guys, but I love you if you're on there. God bless you. Thanks for attending. Um, so now John 21 is the last chapter of John. So what do you think has happened already? Everything except for his ascension. Except for John 21, right? <laughs> Except for John. Everything. Jesus is, he's died, he's been buried, he's resurrected, okay? And after his resurrection, um, we're right here. This is where we're at in John 21. And so we're going to read through it, and we're going to read some very interesting. So this is more like a what we call a shotgun teaching, or, or teaching or lesson. Because it, when, we, when we go through a passage, right, we're not necessarily going to gain a clear point 
because there's going to be things we can take out, right? We can do these four things as we read, right? We can, we can um, find out something that we should believe that should be a part of our core beliefs, right? We should find evidence for invisible things. We should find uh, how to straighten out something that's crooked in our thinking. We should also uh, uh, find nutrition for our righteous identity that we're given by grace, right? So when we're doing these things while reading scripture, we're doing justice. This is the permission that we have. Outside of the typology, remember how we said the New Testament, is a, the Old Testament, like the law and stuff is a shadow. The law has a shadow of good things to come. And the New Testament, right, gives us permission to actually look in the law and see Jesus through the law. Remember that story of the road to Emmaus where, where um, they were ignorant and they, they, that it was Jesus. They didn't know Jesus was there. He already um, resurrected. And then they were like saying, like this great man, Jesus, you know, like they were talking about him, like lifting him up, like speaking well of him and then jesus comes up and he starts expounding to them in the bible it says in the scriptures all the things concerning himself so jesus gave the i mean the greatest bible study in the history of the world i feel like that's the bible study i want to go to right where jesus is going through the law and the prophets and he's pointing out himself Oh, this prophecy is about me. Oh, this law is about me. The law of trespass or the law, uh, the, the, uh, the sin offering or the wave offering or the peace offering, right? And he's going through that and he's showing them the things concerning himself, right? So we found that these are the permissions that we have when we look at the Bible on how to interpret, how to understand what's the point of the Bible. It's Jesus. It's to get a revelation of Jesus. Every time you come to the word, we're looking for Jesus. I'm not looking for myself. Because the Bible says when I look for Jesus in 2 Corinthians 3, that I'm changed. That's how I'm transformed. If I see him in the Bible, right, then I'll be transformed. Why do you think in that story, the road to Emmaus, right, he didn't reveal himself. He didn't reveal himself and he showed them himself in the scriptures. I mean, we would think seeing him in person or understanding that it's him in person is the best thing, right? But he gave something, I think a nugget of truth here that's very like evident is that this man, Jesus, this, this, the man, the, the man, God decided it would be best to show them himself in the scriptures before showing them himself in, in, in person. That, because that gives us all equal ground. Mm-hmm. It gives every man equal ground that we all have the ability to be able to see Jesus in the scriptures, right? You don't have to see him in person to believe in him. You can see him in the scriptures and that be enough. And he gives that little like, that little waiting period where he shows them himself, right? And then it says their hearts burned. Their hearts burned because they saw him in the scriptures, not because they saw him in person. They said that after he left, after they realized it was him, they said their hearts burned when he showed himself in the scriptures. Right? So this is a, this is a beautiful thing is as we see Jesus in the scriptures, that's what we're here for. Bible study must end in a revelation of Jesus. Right? So plus these things, right? Which are all centered in Jesus evidently, right? So um, here it goes. Here's the, here's the fun part. Now we're going to John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise, he showed he showed he himself. So 
another version that really cl clarifies that he he came to show himself for a reason. Okay, he appeared. This wasn't the first time he appeared. So he he's already resurrected, right? He's walking around, meeting people, and he's doing these appearances, right? The Bible said he does three. He did three. This is one of them. This is the I think the last one, because it's John twenty one. So it's the last one. It's the last appearance he does, and he says. On this wise, he showed himself. So what he's about to say, okay, is going to be the explanation of why Jesus revealed himself to people. Okay, so Jesus revealed himself to people in these in this context right before three times, right? And each time it was for a different reason. So we're going to see, oh, what's the, we're going to see something really cool, right? Because we're going to get to learn why Jesus showed up. Why would Jesus show up in your life? Why would Jesus show up in a situation, right? That's the practical part, right? To have faith that maybe Jesus might show up to my situation. Amen? Amen. So we're going to learn about those three things, but not now. So here, here's some of the, the, the context. So he showed himself. Jesus had a reason. The disciples are here on the sea. The context is Jesus already had died, resurrected. So this is Jesus as we would know him today. So this Jesus, what he's doing right here is how we would know him today, the resurrected Christ. Okay, so this isn't like Jesus before the before the law in the law under the law, right? Talking about the kingdom of heaven where he sounds a little more harsh and a little more critical, right? Because he's telling them that it's by works like show me your good works to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is his physical kingdom, not the spiritual one. We've, we've studied some of that. If, uh, talk to me about later if you don't understand that part. <laughs> um, so this is Jesus as we would know him today. That's so important. So what he does here, he, he'll do for us. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So what he does here, he'll do for us. Verse 2. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called uh, Didymus and Nathaniel. Oh, how do you say that name? Uh, Nathan. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the hard one. It's like Nathaniel, but just Nathan Ale of, of Cana, which is in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of disciples. So we, we can count them, right? So we count them. There's seven. There's a Peter, Thomas, Nathan, two sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. There's seven, right? Okay. Only seven disciples are here. So we have a clear picture, right? Because it says the sons of Zebedee, which is two. And then it's just talking about the two other disciples, right? Doesn't give them by name. So verse three, Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. So I'm going to tell you this. Peter already knows that Jesus is alive here. Okay. But he decides to get these six other disciples other than himself and get them and take them to go back to work, to go fishing. Okay. He knows he's heard already that Jesus is alive. You can read uh, chapter 20 and 19. He's already heard that. Okay. Which is very weird. Why would he go back to work knowing that Jesus resurrected as promised? Right. So this is this 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 has puzzled me for a long time because I always heard it preached like this or taught like this. Is that yeah you know uh, uh, right after Jesus um, 
Peter didn't know. Peter didn't know. They, they say it as like he didn't know that Jesus was alive and he just went back to work. No, Peter knew. Peter had revelation and understanding that Jesus was alive, which is very important. We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. So Peter's going fishing. He takes them. Okay. He takes them and they went into a ship and that night they caught nothing. He's an expert fisherman. Okay. But they caught nothing. So there's a high chance that he would have caught something. He's not just going to go fishing because it's a good idea. He's going to go fishing to catch fish. Mm-hmm. Right. He's an expert in that. That's his, that was his, li- his, his livelihood before Jesus. So verse four says, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Okay. Verse five. No, no, sorry, sorry. I missed the verse. Um, uh, verse three. Simon Peter said to them, I go. I go fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. So um, uh, verse. We'll just keep reading the, the verse. Verse four. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples knew that it was not Jesus. So they didn't know. They saw, they saw this man, but they didn't know it was Jesus. So they didn't catch nothing. They saw this man on the shore. They didn't know it was Jesus. They weren't sure about really what was going on. Verse 5. And remember, he's coming to see them. Okay? He's coming to see them for a purpose. He has a reason. It says on this wise. So what's happening right now is a, is a reason why Jesus wants to show himself to them. It's a reason. So remember, John's writing the account. So that might be important. That might be important. Verse five. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. So they still didn't know. He's talking to them now. Okay. He's talking to them now. And they still don't know that it's him. They're saying, he said, did you catch any fish? And they said, no. Okay. But he calls them children. He calls them children. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. They cast therefore and now they and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. So in reality, they, they just obeyed a stranger. Okay, they, they just obeyed a complete stranger about how to fish. This man standing at the shore, he's like, hey, cast the net to the right side. Did you catch any fish? They said, no. So cast the net to the right side. In verse, in verse six, and he says, and ye shall find, they therefore casted it. They found a multitude of fishes. So this is kind of the weirdest thing. Is this kind of debunks the idea that you have to know God to be blessed by him? Or that you have to know his voice, right? God can bless and do for anyone, anything at any time, any place, anywhere, any way he wants because he can. Their per- his permission was this, throw the nets. So they threw the nets. That was his permission. They had faith enough to believe in what he said, even though they didn't know it was him. Right? So uh, um, imagine when we tell people, oh, you know, to be blessed by God, you actually got to get to this like this, this maturity in God, you know? Or like when we tell people, oh, um, 
mind you this, Peter, Peter also denied Jesus, right? He denied him three times. So you're having this, this, this person who just completely denied Jesus, right? Also primarily being blessed, right? With a multitude of fishes, so much so that the nets couldn't pull them. Okay. So this is an interesting story. This is playing out to be very, very interesting, right? It's kind of like a drama. Like you kind of see it happening. Can you guys see it happening? Right, we're there. So, and another point that I want to make is that like, it's crazy that he's not doing anything spiritual. He's just helping them with catching fish, right? And, and this is the crazy thing is like, why... Did the fish just materialize out of nowhere? No, they're on the right side. You know, did they just materialize out of nowhere? Or did because he was there, were they drawn to him? Right? Did all the fish in the sea, because he's master of the oceans, were drawn to him? We don't know. It, we can speculate. But I, ha- I, just ha- I just have this imagery that he's there and then, and then creation is just moving and bowing to the resurrected Christ and just pulling. He says, cast to the, to the right side. Guess what? Because he knows that the fish are pulling this way. So they catch so much fish that they can't even pull it up just a beautiful picture of of his just power and authority and and all that he is he didn't say anything to the fish he didn't say anything to the waters he just told his disciples who didn't know it was him to throw it on the side beautiful picture verse 7 therefore that the disciples so therefore that disciple singular disciple whom Jesus loved who's this John, who's writing this? John. So John is calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like it's like me saying angel, the pastor whom Jesus loved, right? Like it's just acknowledging God's love for myself, for me. And you're going to see, I, I, oh, I'm getting so excited. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Sorry. So he, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it is the Lord. I follow the Holy Spirit, right? So John, John says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, and I'm the one that told Peter that it was Jesus, okay? And I'm just going to point it out, this little preaching point, right? When you know that you're loved by God, it's easier to see who he is. It's easier to see when he's there. It's easier to hear his voice. It's easier to know it was him. So he says, now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he gird his fisher coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. So he, he literally went, put his coat on, he hid. He was ashamed. He was a, This is a drama, right? <laughs> they catch the fishes, and, and Peter like dives off the side, and he puts this coat on because he's naked, and he's ashamed. He's like, Jesus, what the heck, right? John, knowing that he's loved by God, right, is like, oh, that's the Lord, simply, with a smile, like, all excited, right, all giddy, oh, my gosh, there's the Lord right there, that was the Lord who just told us to do that, and Peter's like, what the heck, like, I thought we were just lucky, no, you're not lucky, you're blessed, okay, you're not lucky, you're blessed. I have a question when you're done with this story. Okay. Is it, okay, I'm asking. Is this the time when he was resurrected already? This is his, he's resurrected. Jesus is resurrected, yes. And they know, they know it's, they don't know it's him, 
But they know him prior when he was before he was on the cross. Yes. Okay. So all these disciples know who Jesus is. They all heard, okay, that he was alive. Okay, they're on the boat. The only person who recognized him was John. Okay, the only person who recognized him was John. Right, the only way you can recognize Jesus is grace. I'm just going to throw that one in there too, right? Remember, instruction in righteousness, nourishment in our righteous identity. How we see God is through grace. How we see Jesus is through grace. Right, through the lens of being loved by him, knowing that I'm loved by him. And that's his grace toward me, so I'm able to see him when he comes. Just a little little small thing there. Those are preaching points, right? It's huge. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. You see why I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so, it was John... Um, it was John who wrote it, and it's John who sang Jesus loved him, and he's the first one that knew it was him, and he told the rest. Those who see that he loves them see him first. Okay, that's a, that's a point. Those who see that he loves them see him first. Those who see that he loves them hear him first. You have a hard time hearing God? It's because, probably because you have a hard time believing he loves you. You have a hard time seeing God and seeing Jesus and how beautiful he is and how lovely his person is. It's probably because you have a hard time believing that he loves you. So Peter goes, he changed, he gets... In, in, in reality, you can also understand maybe that he's... he's in, later on in the story, we understand that he's changing to present himself. He's changing. He's, he, he dived off because he was like first ashamed and then he ends up coming off the boat. You'll see. Verse 8, And the other disciples came in the little ship... For they were not far from the land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. So they're literally like, they get in another boat, okay? So they have a bigger boat. They get in a little boat, right? They leave the main boat. They attach the net to that small boat so they can drag the fishes that they caught through the water and pull them to shore. And they meet Jesus on the other side where he's at. So, verse 9, as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus said unto them, bring of the fish, fish which you have now caught. Okay. So notice this. He makes them breakfast. This is morning time. He makes them breakfast. They come off the ship. and He has a meal prepared for them. And what does he ask them? To bring the fish that he helped them catch. Well, I always want to point these propitiation ideas out because God was going to serve them the food that he provided for them. Okay? He didn't expect them to provide for themselves. He provided for them and he made a meal and prepared a meal for them to feed them. Okay? And remember, on this wise he came. On this wise he showed himself for this reason. We're coming to the conclusion of, the, of this, this story. It's, a, it's about to end this part of the story. So for this reason, he showed himself. He came to bring them a meal. He came to provide for them. They, could, they weren't catching fishes. And he showed up so that he could come provide for them, cook them a meal with the fish he provided for them. I mean, how this is the loveliness of Jesus. This is the same Jesus that we serve right now. The resurrected Christ, okay? 
This is the beauty of, of his nature. So when we think in our lives we're struggling, one of the reasons, one of the reasons Jesus will show up in our lives, and here's a, here's a preaching point. And I'm, in Bible study, I'm differentiating. I'm telling you the difference between an interpretation and a preaching point or a teaching point, right? Something just extra um, that's not the interpretation. But you see here in this part of the story that he's coming to provide. So when you're in need, right, Jesus wants to show up. He would love nothing more than to be the mill, to provide the mill for your need. He would, be, he would love nothing more. He would love nothing more. And he did it knowing that they knew that he resurrected and they were not searching for him. They were not searching for him. Seven disciples. John probably was there under peer pressure because he's a kid. Probably 16, 17 at the time. He was at the cross watching Jesus suffer and then he's over here on the boat. He was the only disciple sitting at the cross watching Jesus suffer. But then he's over here on the boat with these disciples knowing that he's alive. I kind of feel like he was a double agent for Christ in that situation, right? Because he's the one that like, he immediately knows that's Jesus, right? Guys, that's Jesus. And then Peter jumps out the boat. He might have set him up. <laughs> you know, you know you, we don't know, right? We don't know. The book of John actually says there's so many things that happen that are not written in this book. It says that. There's so many things that, are, that, that, that we could say, but, are, but there's too much to fit in this book. So there's, there's so much that could have happened, right? Because we know that John was like, he, he had something special. And we're going to keep seeing it as we read. So Jesus said unto them, bring of the fish which you have now caught. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes and 150 and three. And for all that were, um, were so many, yet was not the net broken. So Peter, after jumping off, gets back in the boat, brings the boat, okay, brings the first boat to water because they took the little boat, right? So he's now bringing the big boat and he's bringing more fish. So they had two nets of fishes. Does that make sense? So we're kind of seeing the story in full play here. This, this, this whole story play out. Verse 12, Jesus said unto them, come and dine and none and none of the disciples did ask him or dared to ask him, who art thou knowing that it was the Lord? So they all knew it was him. It was like that awkward, quiet moment where like, um, where you told someone else, oh, like, you know, like I'm actually, you guys made a plan with three friends, right? Say me, um, um, Edgar and Jeff, right? And we made plans together and then Jeff bells out, right? And so um, me and Edgar still go, right? We're still, we're still going to go. And then we see Jeff there with someone else. Because <laughs> he thought we weren't going to go because he didn't go. But we ended up seeing him and it's like at an awkward moment. We're like, yeah, we know that's Jeff, but let's not like, let's not sit with him and have dinner right now. This is how you know. It's almost like they were running, hiding. In the previous context, it actually, it actually says that, that they were, they were hiding for fear of the Jews. They were still scared to be associated with him. Okay? 
And we, we have proof. Well, I have proof right now. Proof in the scriptures that that was the case. Verse 13, then Jesus cometh and taketh the bread and give them and fish likewise. So Jesus feeds them. He knows that they couldn't catch anything and they were probably worn out. He knew that. He knew their whole situation before he came. And after all that, Jesus simply came to eat with them and provide for them food in abundance. You know, in spite of themselves, like this is so important. Is it, it's, it's about your faith. It's about your faith that God can provide, you know, and I want you to know when he says cast the net to the side, right? Sometimes you, you, you have that still small voice that you're not really sure is God, but you know that it's leading you to the righteous things, right? To, to, to godly things, right? That are that, you know, morally are, are, are of God, right? God's not going to tell you. God's not going to tell you to do anything that's against his word. You have people that think, oh, like God's going to give me a word like, you know, like I, I should um, get divorced. You know, God gave me the God gave me a word. I've heard people say that before. That God told them that in spite of what his word says, that they should do that. It was a number of years ago, but still, like I, I've heard stuff like that. And it's like, OK, like, well, God, God told me that, like, um, I can do this as long as I don't do it this way. You know, or I can white lie. I have proof in the Bible. Look at Abraham, you know, like, <laughs> right. So we can find all these justifications for actions. Um, we notice here, I'm going to, I'm just going to be, um, I see it this way. Is that the disciples are so like us and Jesus is just so like himself, right? He's just so like God, the disciples, like we can, I'm pretty sure we can all relate that like the shame that they're feeling, right? The, the, the little awkward moments, the, the point where they didn't even dare to ask him any questions about who he is, right? Because they just know it's like, this is Jesus. He resurrected like he said. We were over here. You know, we didn't, we didn't have faith that he was going to resurrect. Like he told us. He told us he was going to resurrect, but we still didn't believe. Proof being that their actions showed that they didn't believe because they were out fishing they weren't waiting so we notice in verse 14 it says this is now the third time that that jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead so this is this is where we get understanding that peter knew they knew they knew he was alive So he came, his first showing was to ease the sadness of Mary. Okay. If you're sad, Jesus wants to manifest himself and show himself to you to help your sadness. That's he came to and showed himself to Mary because she was sad. She was crying. She was broken. And he came to lift her up. Okay. The second showing Thomas, he came to undo and bring Thomas's doubts to rest. Okay, that's one of the, the next showings. Um, when you're really super broken, and do you think that Jesus will come to you through a person? Jesus can manifest himself to you through a person, through a personal experience with him in the Word, through through personal experience outside of the Word. Right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 
he can do whatever he wants. We just have to have faith that he cares enough to do whatever he wants. I was asking you, do you think that he would come to a person? And then, well, you answered it, but you kind of elaborated. Yeah, I... To a person. There's, a, there's multiplicity, yeah, but yeah, he can. And then um, Thomas, so, like... No, it doesn't say he was there. He said to go get Peter. So we know that somebody went to tell Peter that he was alive. Okay. And this is where we find the third time Peter getting all the disciples together. Right. Jesus is like, go tell Peter I'm alive. And then Peter's like, all right, um, let's go on a boat. <laughs> let's, let's get out of here. Right. Let's just go catch some fishes. And they were there through the night. The Bible says that's why when he when they came, it was the morning. He made them food. So they were working all through the night trying to catch fish and couldn't catch anything. So he knew they were worn out. He understood, right? There's this, there's this clear imagery. You guys are going to have to read 20 and 21. That's your homework. Um, so verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto, them, unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, then he said unto him, feed my lambs. So Jesus says, do you have agape for me? It's the Greek word for love. It's the highest form of love in the Bible. Peter says, you know, okay. He doesn't say, he doesn't say agape back. He says, you know that I embrace you. Okay. Jesus says, do you love me? He says, no. The translated word for love, for what Peter said back, is embrace. What Peter is running. You guys have to understand, Peter, the context is Peter is hiding. Peter is ashamed. Okay? So Peter, Peter is not answering his question. Peter is answering his own conscience. Right? Peter has a conscience that he denied Jesus, showing his shame. So when Jesus is coming back, he's still in that shame. He jumped off the boat. He finally realized he's not going to hide from Jesus. He comes and gets the boat, brings the rest of the fish. And then he's sitting there. Jesus starts talking to him and says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, no, I, I embrace you. Yes, I embrace you. I embrace you. Right? Because what, what is Jesus' words? If you deny me, I'll deny you. Right? Jesus said that. If you deny me, I'll deny you. So Peter's making sure that he knows that he hasn't committed that sin. I embrace you. That he hasn't committed blasphemy. Right? Because he, he knew what Jesus said. Pretty sure he remembered. That's why he was probably ashamed and didn't want to talk to Jesus after he was resurrected. But Jesus comes in and he says, I embrace you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. He said, do you love me more than these? Okay, there's two interpretations. Do you love me more than they love me? Okay. Or do you love me more than you love them? Right? Then these. Do you love me more than these? It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of skewy a little bit. It's, it's, it's hard to interpret this point, this part. And I, I, I studied it and I looked at it and this was one of the hard things for me to really like come to a clear answer on. What? Why is the majority, why is the, uh, uh, one of the authoritative, most of the authoritative uh, translations continue to say, ask the question, do you love me? He answers back, do you know I love you? Three times it's, it's, it's written like that. It's not 
That's a translation thing. See, this is the issue with translation. Translation, initially, we're talking about the Geneva Bible. Does anyone know the Geneva Bible? I've heard of it. I haven't read that one yet. Okay. It supersedes the King James. It's right. the version before the King James. Okay, Geneva Bible. Geneva Bible is 